Today I want to carry on a, a, our series, which is really in Christ. And it's going to go for the whole year, because I think that's where he wants us to come. Actually, in to him, in Christ. You see, it's in him that we have our faith. It's in him that we have our being. It's in him where love comes from. It's in him where salvation comes from. It's in him. So I want to carry on that, that theme. And we're digging through the book of John. And in the book of John, it is really all about that. So I'm going to ask you to open up your scriptures with me and uh, to John chapter 2. And let me pray first. Father God, I just want to ask, I thank you for your word. I thank you that it is alive, and I thank you that it does cut deep. You do want us to go from our heads into our hearts. You don't just want us to be filled with knowledge. You want us to be filled with you. You want to take that word which John said that you became, that you want to speak life today. So I'm asking that you take your word and that it will bring life to the very creation that you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. So go to John 2 for me. This is a great story. Anyone been to a good wedding? We were at a wedding yesterday. Um, it was, we weren't at a wedding, actually. We disturbed a wedding. We were at a camp with my family. Now, my family's crazy, in case you haven't picked up. And we had a bit of a reunion. And at the reunion, um, there's 10 brothers and sisters in my family. And uh, 50 years ago... Yesterday, we arrived in Australia on a boat, so we thought we'd go away and have a, a bit of a camp. So I've got a photograph, which I won't put up, of our family. And I think someone calculated if we were all together now, we're brothers and sisters and siblings and all that. There's 117 of us. Um, it was, so it was a big camp, right? So where there's this wedding on the same campsite we were at. Silly thing to do with a whole bunch of halls. They didn't know that. And they were in this grass area that was overlooking the beach in Bustleton and there were the whole family doing sandcastles and water fights. Um, so I don't think this was the same type of wedding. This was a little bit different. This was a wedding in Cana. Now you need to understand weddings are a little bit different over there. So I just want to give you a picture of what a wedding may have been like. Annie, Annie I think was with me. Annie, where are you? Annie Baines. She's, I saw her here. Here she goes. Annie, we, 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 we went to a wedding, didn't we, in India? It's a little bit like that wedding. And it was funny because we were in India visiting um, some people up in Bhopal, uh, the, the Silvers in Bhopal. And uh, we were walking around the streets, and I don't know how we got an invite, but somehow Winston De Silva met somebody on the street, and they saw that we were white, and they thought, well, we'd like you to come to our wedding. So we went to a stranger's wedding in India. Now, you've got to picture this wedding in India. I probably get a little bit wrong because I'm creative, right? But this, the weddings in India, the, the groom would ride through the streets on a white horse, right? Bit biblical. And behind them would be the groomsmen. And the groomsmen, which I thought was kind of interesting, had these boxes on their heads with like lights that came out, right? And, and all these boxes were all connected, right? There's one there, all connected with a wire. And then there's a bloke behind pushing a generator. And I'm thinking, what's going to happen if it rains? They're going to have afros or they're going to be dead. I'm not sure. And it was funny because, you remember this? They were actually, it's very loud, right? India, very loud. So they're all playing this music. The music they were playing was, who let the dogs out? <laughs> I couldn't work that one out. I, 
I might go there. Don't have that at your wedding, okay? No, who let the dogs out? It doesn't, doesn't work. But it's interesting because we were invited to this wedding and they invited us in and they said, what you have to do is they've already had their ceremony. It's been taken a week. And you walk into this tent and there's a whole bunch of empty seats. And we had to walk up the front, get a photograph with the bride and the groom and the parents, give our gift, which was told what we had to give. Um, and so we gave our financial gift and then they ushered us out the side to the banquet. Isn't that right? And it was really strange because we never met them before. We got a photograph with this strange couple, with these white people, and then we were pushed out to the banquet. Now, in India, a lot of Indian traditions come from the East. And that would have been something a little bit as I was there thinking, this may have been a little bit like the weddings in uh, in. Cana at the particular time that we're going to read this. You see, they weren't sitting like us around tables or with a banquet table at the front. They probably would have been milling around, going from stool to stool to stool, getting their food, all finding places to congregate and chat. That's probably what the wedding would have looked like. You also need to know that Cana was a very small place. So it wasn't a huge area. In fact, Probably about three or 400 people lived in the area, so it wasn't a big area. So this isn't a massive wedding, but it was big enough that the whole community probably came to it. So they would invite anybody. That's what the Bible says. You go out into the streets and invite whoever you can find into the wedding. So there we are at this wedding in Cana. Can I read the story to you? Let's go to the scripture. And it starts off in John 2, verse 1. The next day... There was a wedding celebrating in the village of Cana in Galilee. Now, the next day, remember, we've just come from chapter 1. In the scripture, when John wrote this, he wouldn't have put it into chapters. So they would have flowed into each other, one from the other. So we've just heard about Nathaniel, God's gift. And we've read about that last week. And today, these guys have met with Jesus because they've believed in him because of the events that have been told by John and because he proved himself because he knew that Nathaniel was sitting under a fig tree. But now they're at a wedding. So the next day, probably the third day, there was a wedding celebrated in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. Now remember this. I wondered about what's this about Mary in this story. Mary, if you go back to the story, has now become the surrogate mother to John. So when John writes this book 50 years later, remember when he was at the cross and Jesus looked down and said to John, will you look after mum for me? And mum, will you look after your new son? And so he became the surrogate son to Mary. So when he's talking about Mary, he's talking from a very close relationship, which he's had for the last 50 years, although she probably died by then, but he, would have, he, he knew her well. This wasn't like just Mary. This was Mary, the mother of Jesus. The wine supply ran out during the festival, so Jesus' mother told him, go to BWS or Dan Murphy's and pick up some more. But they didn't have that. So she said, they have no more wine. Dear woman, that's not our problem. 
If you read it in the, in the original, it basically says, what does that have to do with us? In other words, this isn't our place, mum. This isn't our place right now. What's that got to do with us? Jesus replied, my time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Stand nearby where six stones water, sorry, standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. When the jars had been filled, he said, now dip some out. In fact, it would have been like a, a jug, and take it to the master of ceremonies. So the servants followed his instructions. While the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over. A host always serves the best wine first, he said. Then when everyone has had a lot to drink, he brings out the less expensive wine. So once they get a bit tiddly, we bring out the cheap stuff, right? The plain label stuff. Some people do that early, I know. But it's rum, but okay. Um, so, but you have kept the best until now. The, mirac- the miraculous sign at Canaan in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. After the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother, his brothers and his disciples. To understand what John is saying here, we have to go back to the purpose of the book, which we find in John 20, where John says, I write this. There were so many other signs. There were so many other miracles. There was so much more I could have told you, but I just wanted to tell you these signs so that you would understand that Jesus really was the Son of God. You see, in other words, these are signs. What do signs do? Signs tell you where to go. They point to something. They tell you your direction. When we were in um, Paris many, many years ago, we went from London to Paris on a train. And we got to Paris and uh, we were at the train station there. Anyone been to the train station in Paris? Yep, yep. Well, there was these signs up, right? And we saw there was these signs all over the place, all pointing to the same place. And we thought, mate, this must be a really big city because it's everywhere. Wherever I looked, was this, it was like every door had this sign on it. And I worked out that Souti, Sauté, is actually not a place. It's exit. So I'm looking for the place, which actually is the exit. I missed the sign. And sometimes we can miss the sign. Have a look at these pictures that Marg and I picked up as we were travelling up north. We were actually on, um, on our way to uh, Uralu at the time, probably about, oh, how far would that be? In the middle of nowhere. And I was a little bit concerned with that sign because, you see, the nearest international airport was probably about two to 3,000 k's away. And I'm thinking, if that's the first time you've heard that you're going to drive on the left-hand side, what have you been doing for the last 2,000 k's? Because that's the first time I saw that sign. You see, sometimes we need reminders in our signs. Sometimes we need a sign just to remind us which side of the road to drive on. Because if you drive on the wrong side of the road, it won't be pretty. 
You see, when it comes to Scripture, John is trying to remind us of the sign that we get back on track so we know which side of the road to drive on, which side of life to drive on, because the side we're going to drive on in this new place called the kingdom of God is actually on the road that leads to the Son of God. He wants us to know that He is the Son of God. That's a big statement, and we can roll that off our tongues very quickly. You see, in our culture, we don't like to be known as the son of, right? It's like, I don't want to live in the shadow of my dad. I don't want to be known as the son of Ted Hall. I want to be known as Steve. In fact, we see it as a, as a privilege when someone says, Ah, so you're Steve, and Ted is the son of Steve. That would be good, right? We like that. We don't like the idea of living in someone else's shadow. We want to know, be ourselves. So when we talk about the Son of God, sometimes we miss the power behind that name. And John is trying for us to understand this sign towards the Son of God is a powerful sign. Put it this way. Imagine God. This is the Father God. Imagine God for a moment. Think of God. If you could think of God, I wonder what you think of. God who created the heavens and the earth. God, when you stand outside in the middle of nowhere and you look up and you see all those stars. God who put breath into our lungs. God who is just that, that being that we just can't see but we know is there and is in part of our lives. That is the Father of Jesus. He walks in his Father's not shadow, but one whip. That is amazing. This person, Jesus, is not just a baby. This person, Jesus, is just not a, a, a gifted man. This person who we call Jesus, who we worship, who was there at that wedding, is the Son of God. In fact, John wants you to know that he is one with God, that he was in the beginning, and he is the Word of God. This Jesus that we're worshipping today is bigger than just the miracles, the miracles are only pointing us to he can do anything. He can turn water into wine. You see, there were seven signs that John tells us about in the book of John. There are seven signs. Signs from changing, taking a little, a little lunchbox and feeding 5,000. It was a sign. Sign of the blind man seeing. It was a sign. All the way through, we're going to see some of those. There were seven signs. And he said there were a lot more, but I just want to tell you, seven signs that point to him being the Son of God. I want us to have a look at that. And I've actually called this, Seeing is Believing. My message today is based on if seeing is believing, then what do you see? Sorry, who do you see? What do you see and how will you respond? Who do you see? You see, I find this interesting in, in this story because you see Mary, the mother of Jesus, responds to Jesus like any mother would respond. She sees that there's a, there's a lack of wine in this party. That's a devastation and she's feeling it in here and she thinks, what am I going to do? She says, Jesus, my son. Do something. How many times have parents gone, hey, son, daughter, can you just go and help that lady over there? 
Could you, could you just go, look, just go pick that stuff up and do something? And she was communicating with Jesus as his mother. That's why John starts off by saying, Jesus, um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, talks to him as his mother. The mother who has authority. The mother who can ask for you to do something. The mother who can tell you to clean your room. The mother. He, Jesus, his mother, identifies the issue. There are some people that read that, that Jesus was quite rude when he comes back and he says, woman. But he's not being rude. If you understand the culture, what he was saying is the relationship's just changed. You see, now he didn't say mum. He said woman, which was a common phrase when you spoke to a lady, especially one that was a follower. So when he looks at this lady and he says, woman, he is saying, you're moving from being a mother now to my follower because I'm a, person, I'm a rabbi of authority and I'm starting my ministry. It wasn't a put down. It was a change of relationship. You know if you're a parent, you change relationships, right? When my kids were young, we treat them differently to how they are when they're older now and have kids. You see, back then, they did what they were told occasionally. Mostly to Margie, not to me. When they got older, we're now equals. We're now friends. Well, we were friends back then too, but we were. But, but, but we're equals. We talk about things differently. Before, at one stage, my kids used to ask advice. Now they give advice. You see, once upon a time, I cared for them. And when they, I get older, they're going to be, hopefully, just a reminder, Jaden, caring for me. Once I paid for their food, and then they're going to have to look after me. That's my superannuation plan for kids. It's a change of relationship. And Jesus, at the age of 30, is saying, Mary, I'm not responding to you as my mother now. I'm going to tell you I'm actually a rabbi of authority. In fact, I want to show you that I'm the son of God. So Mary has a change in relationship. I want to ask you, how do you see Jesus? How do you see Jesus? I'll tell you how you find out how you see Jesus. Listen to your prayers. Listen to the way you speak to him. Listen to um, It's interesting listening to sitting in prayer meetings and listening to how people pray. We tend to talk to him as though he's our servant. Jesus, can you do this, 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 and this? We sometimes talk to him about, there's a problem over there, Jesus, and you need to, I just in case you don't know, I've just got to tell you something, Jesus, a bit of gossip here, but so-and-so, they're having a bit of a problem with their marriage, and you know, this did that, that did that, and, and I think that you should try and fix it up. A bit crude, but that's sometimes, if you listen to our prayers, we're telling Jesus what to do. We're telling him there's a problem. Can you fix it for us? Rather than coming to him in a different heart. You see, Mary moved. And what does she do? She goes and finds the servant. And she says to the servant, do what he says. Do what he says. In other words, I'm not going to tell you what to do, Jesus. I'm going to bring the servant for you to tell him what to do. She moved her relationship. If we want to see God in his kingdom, if we want to see his power, if we want to see him as the son of God, we need to change. We can't see him as our mate. 
We can't see him as, as just the one that's going to solve all my problems. We can't see him as anything else, but he has to be Lord and King and Savior and the Son of God. When we pray, we need to pray and talk and respond to him as the Son of God, not as our mate, as our servant, as the one that's there just to fix up my problems because I forgot to buy enough wine for the wedding. Can you fix that one up? That's what we do. And I think Mary changed that scene. But look what the servants do. I love this. This is what we need to do, church. Right now, I think God is calling us as a church to come and step into him. And the servants come to the table or to wherever he was standing or sitting at the time. And they come close to him. And they say, yep, what do you want us to do? If we could turn our response to Jesus to, so what do you want me to do? Would we have an ear to hear him tell us what to do? Tell us how to pray. Tonight we're going to be praying for our, our, our partners overseas. And we'll have all this list of all the things that the requests. But what if we were to say, Lord God, how would you have me pray? What would you, you already know the circumstance, God, because you, Jesus, you are the son of God. What would you have me do? If we started doing that, God, church, I reckon we'll start seeing God's glory glowing and glowing and glowing all over the place. You'll see him intervening everywhere. If we first asked, what do you want me to do? Simple question. Change our relationship to what do you want me to do? It's kind of interesting, and this is a side issue. You can take this one for free, right? The idea that Jesus then said, this is not my problem, and Mary then goes and talks to the servant. Some people have suggested, well, Mary was just stubborn, and she was just going to make him do it anyway, right? It's not true. Look at the whole story. The whole story goes like this. This is not my time, which means this isn't the time for me to show my glory to everybody. So what does he do? He turns the water into wine. The only people it says that knew he turned the water into wine were the servants and the disciples and, of course, Mary. The host and the bridegroom, the host thought the bridegroom had gone out there or the parents had gone out there and bought some more wine or just kept the good stuff. Who got the glory that day? It wasn't Jesus because it wasn't time for him to reveal his glory. It wasn't Jesus. It was the parents. It was the wedding party. He actually said, it's not going to be me because this isn't my time. But I want to show my disciples. Jesus wants to show us some stuff personally first. There's some experiences I won't share with anybody that I have with God because he says, Steve, they're yours. They're not for everybody else because you need those. You need to remember those. They're yours. Sometimes there are times in our lives which you can't explain to anybody else that God's touched you and his glory has come, and you go, that's mine. I'm going to hold that just like Mary. In my, I'm going to hold that in my heart, and I'm going to treasure that because that's going to help me get through life because he wants to show you his glory. The, the second thing that I looked at with this was not just what do you, um, who do you see, but what do you see? Here's, a, here's something very interesting. The wedding had run out of wine. The wedding had run out of wine. Jesus shows his glory by filling 
the deficit that the people at the wedding had. I don't know what you're like, but I know what it's like to run out. I know what it's like to run out. I know what it's like to run out when you're talking to a friend who's just gone through a terrible, terrible situation and your heart bleeds for them and you're thinking, i got nothing to give. I can't help you. I can't change it. I don't even know what advice to give to you. I'm, I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to come up with some wisdom, but I haven't got any. I've run out. I've got nothing to give. I wonder if you felt like that. I've got nothing to give. There's nothing in me to give you. Maybe you've run out of, of, of just patience. Maybe you've run out right now of that sense of, of um, love for, that, for your husband or your wife and you just know that it's just empty right now. Is the, is the barrel empty? Are you just run out of energy? Are you run out of hope in Jesus? Have you run out of your desire to worship? Have you run out? What are you... What, tank is empty at the moment. I'm scared of running out of fuel in my diesel because I heard that you've got to prime it. I've never done that before. So I'm scared stiff of running out of fuel because I don't want to get stuck on the side of the road. But I reckon if I had an electric car, I'd be even more nervous about running out of power because how do you kickstart an electric car? Matt Pendle might help me out with that. I don't know how you do that, Matt. But if you run out of power an electric car, what happens? You can't push start it. A long extension cord, you see? I knew there must be an answer. But the question I've got is, what are you running out of? You come here today, what are you low on? What are you low on? Because see, Jesus comes along to fill that which we are low on. But he does it his way. Look how he did it. Watch how he did it. He took the vessels. He took the vessels that were used, what? For, for, for cleansing. He took the vessels that were used for sacri sacri not sacrificial, but to, to cleanse us and make us pure. He took the water, which was the holy water, which they would have done to wash themselves so that they would have been ceremonially clean. He took the things that we used to make us clean and he turned it into what? Red wine. Red, red wine. <laughs> so, so he turned it into wine. He turned it into the wine, which is symbolic of Jesus' love, symbolic of Jesus' sacrifice. You see, he was saying here, I'm going to take that which you used to make yourself holy with, and I'm going to show you that the only way you're really going to become holy is when Jesus dies on the cross. He was predicting his death at the wedding feast. And if you look in the Bible, there's lots of symbolisms about wedding feasts. And Jesus said, I'm going to meet you at the wedding feast. And he's calling people to the wedding feast. And he is the, we are the bride and he is the bridegroom. And, and he's going to, he wants to take that which we've been working hard at. You see, we try and make ourselves holy. Get to church. Keep coming. Give. Try and understand more and more of the Bible. Maybe it's, it's, it's doing the right thing. It's completely confessing my sins all the time so I'm... But see, Jesus is the only one. Jesus is the only one who can fill your tank of righteousness. He is the only one. You cannot do it yourself. You will never do it yourself. Paul says we are all sinners. He's not celebrating that. He's just saying that's the fact. And you see, I, I'm the best of them. But here it is. You come to Jesus and say, I can't do it anymore. And he says, no problems. I've done that for you. I'm going to give you 
purification that nothing else could give you? What are you empty at? Right now, I want to ask you this. Are you empty? Do you need the Son of God to come and fill your empty vessels? I know what it's like to feel empty too when it comes to knowing God. Because today, some years ago, our little boy had an accident and, uh, man, I was empty. I was empty. Totally empty. I didn't want to worship God. I didn't want to, I didn't want to go anywhere near him. And I remember my pastor at Kelmscott Church of Christ who had just invited us into the ministry and he said, you just come and sit and let God fill you up. I remember that clearly. And we did. Sometimes events make us empty. Sometimes situations will make you empty. Sometimes just life makes you empty. Sometimes the fight against that which you're trying to stand for makes you feel empty and you're struggling to love anymore and you're struggling to forgive anymore and you're struggling to give out anymore because you're empty. And so you're trying to work on just the energy you've got and it's making you grumpy and everyone around you knows you're grumpy because you're tired and you're tired because you're empty and Jesus is saying, come to me because if you come into me, I will fill you up with my forgiveness and love. You find it hard to forgive. You find it hard to laugh because that's what the story is all about. Then he goes on to say, how, will you how are you going to respond? How will you respond? How will you respond when we see the glory of God? We come to worship and we sense his presence. You sat on the beach and just the glory of God just comes upon you and you just go, wow. How do you respond? This is what these guys did. It says here, his disciples moved from simple... Sorry, it's up there. They were, these, this miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. The word believe. I better be careful how I say this because Nick will pick me up. Pesteo. Pisteo is different to just simply, simply saying, I believe. It actually means I trust. I trust to the place where I will put my trust in you. You see, I could say, say, say Tim comes along and says, Steve, mate, I'm, I'm really good at paddle beating. I can fix any car, looks fantastic, and he talks me into, I've never seen any work he's done, but he talks me into believing that he is a great paddle beater. The best. And I'd go and smash my nice red Hilux up. Now, if I really believed you, Pisteo, if I really did that, I would say, would you fix my car? But if I didn't really believe you, but I just believe you can, but just in my head, I wouldn't let you touch my car. Because I don't, want, I, I don't trust him. I might believe what he's telling me, but you see it goes further than that. It's actually trusting you to do it. Like the guy that walked across the canyon or the tightrope walker. You've heard that story a hundred times. Every preacher says that one. Walks across the canyon with the tightrope. And he's got his stick and he's wobbling across. He gets to the other side. Everyone claps and cheers. He says, can I push the, you reckon I can push the wheelbarrow across? Of course you can. Pushes the wheelbarrow across. And everyone goes, wow, it's awesome, fantastic. Woo! Then he says, who believes I could push somebody have someone in the wheelbarrow push you across. They go, yeah, we believe, we believe, yeah, you can do it. He says, who's going to be the first one? 
and no one puts their hands up. You see, would you really believe that he is the Son of God to the point where we wouldn't just talk about him, we wouldn't just sing about him, but we would trust him? What is it you need to trust him for? Because that's what the story was about. See, these guys, Nathaniel and Simon and Philip and Andrew, they, they, there's probably only five at that particular time. There may have been more, but we think there was five because John's in there too. And these guys, it says, they saw Jesus and they believed. Believed enough of the stories that they were told. They were believed intellectually because someone had told them that this was the Messiah. So they believed intellectually to follow. But when they saw him do that miracle, when they saw that he took something that was water and turned it into wine, when they saw him do something that only God could do, they knew that he was the Son of God. And that's what motivated them to follow him because they saw the sign. I want to ask you today, how do you see, who do you see, what do you see, and how are you going to respond to the Son of God today? Why don't you close your eyes for a moment? And we're going to come into a time of communion, so I'm going to get our helpers at the back there. But just close your eyes for one moment. And I want to ask you today, Who really is Jesus to you? First thing you're going to say is, oh, yes, the Son of God. But I want to ask you, have you been responding to him as the Son of God? Or is he a distant, a distant relative? Is he a distant belief? Is he a concept that you've borrowed from someone else? Or is he really... Son of God, because he calls us to come and follow him, to believe in him, to believe in Christ. And what that might mean right now for you is to say, Lord, sorry, I've been treating you like a mate. I've been treating you like, like an ATM machine. I've been treating you <laughs> as somebody who's just there to help me get my stuff done and help me have a good life. Forgive me for that. Forgive me for that. And help me see you. Help me see you for who you really are. The son of the living God. I'm going to ask you now to think this too. Are you empty? Are you lacking? Have you come to the end? You were really on fire with Jesus some time ago when you gave your life to Jesus. You were on fire. But you know what? You've run out. You're empty. You're going through the motions, just doing what you have to do. You're struggling to forgive people now. You become critical of everybody else, generally what happens. 
finding it hard to worship and and we blame everything else except for the one thing is just we're empty i've run out i've run out of patience i've run out of love i've run out of forgiveness i've run out of that good wine i've run out if that's the case would you let jesus fill you up again to take the water the things that you've been doing and turn it into the only thing that he can do fill you up again with his spirit fill you up again with his love fill you up again with his hope fill you up again with all those things that joy that you're missing fill you up again he wants to fill you up again he wants to fill me up again he wants to fill us as a church he wants to fill us up again where we've, we've doubted and questions. He's saying, I'm putting you back together again and I'm going to fill these vessels up again with the good stuff, the good wine, my wine, the wine of forgiveness, the wine of, of love, the wine of Jesus. He wants to fill you up. I want to tell you right now, if you haven't given your life to Jesus, this is the time right now to do it. Maybe you're feeling empty and he says, you know what? Would you give me your life and I'll fill you up? I will forgive you of your sins that's worn you down. I will forgive you of that stuff that's got in the way. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you're borrowing your faith from someone else and you've just been believing but you've never been trusting, then this is the time to say, Lord Jesus, I want to give you my life today. I want to know the glory of the Son of God in my life that this world would see him for who he is, not for what I made him. Guys are going to hand out the bread and the cup now. And as you receive that bread and cup, just hold it for a moment. We're not going to rush this. Just hold that for a moment. Jesus gave us a piece of bread and he said, this is my bread, this is my body that is broken for you. Take it. Eat it. In other words, embrace me. Take me into who you are. Become one with me. But then he gave the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the new relationship. This is the cup that reminds you that I died on a cross and I gave my life for you and blood was come from me for the sacrificial lamb was given for you for the forgiveness of sins. If you ask for forgiveness, I will give it to you. If you say, Lord Jesus, forgive me because I've, I've been holding a whole heap of stuff. Been holding unforgiveness. I've been holding bitterness. I've been holding resentment. I've been holding that stuff and it's dragging me down and it's making me feel empty and he says i will forgive you i will forgive you and i'll refill you today just take some time alone with god right now and let the son of god embrace you before we eat and drink together
Father God, we're ask today, you forgive us for the stuff that's got in the way in our relationship. I'm going to ask that not only will you forgive us, but right now, Lord God, would you fill us individually, but as a body. This is a new season. This is a new time. This is where we come together and we say God's going to be our focus. We're going to make him number one. You are the son of the living God. You are the word which was in the beginning and became flesh and lived among us and dwelt among us. And we say, Lord Jesus, fill your church afresh with your glory. And may love, forgiveness, joy, patience, kindness be restored and flow through the veins of your church that the world would see that you are the glorious King, our Lord and our Saviour. Amen. Let's eat and drink together.